Hello and welcome once again to episode 56 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Today we're checking out MIDI Note by Austin Blake, an iOS and Mac app for taking notes. MIDI Note is a super powered note taking tool that helps you organize your thoughts. Notes can be on their own or separated into projects and are not limited to just text. Take note of music, pictures, YouTube videos, you name it. Notes can be viewed on a map just like in the Photos app. Projects can be securely encrypted and you can even set a goal to write more right in the app. MIDI Note is free to try so costs and only costs $2.99 per month to unlock all its features. So please be sure to support Austin and check it out today. And if you're an indie app developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So there's an old adage in the industry that real artists ship, right? Um, so I wanted to discuss when it is and when it isn't so important to keep that on the back of your mind as you're like making things um, as a creative individual. like. We oftentimes want to make something that's successful so we can choose to either put a ton of effort into it, right? Uh, and make it as polished as possible. Or we can choose to say, this is the line, this is good enough and let's put it out there um, and see uh, what direction it's going to go in from that point forward, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a really interesting thing that during the course of like uh, working on my own personal apps and also um, now working at a company that, that actually does app development as opposed to teaching. Um, it's, it, I've seen a couple different, I guess, perspectives on it. And I, I don't, <laughs> even then, I don't know if I have a great answer on, you know, it, when it's better to ship and when it's better to kind of be more perfect. Um, but in my own kind of app development, uh, kind of, I would almost lean towards the better to be perfect side. There was an app I was working on for uh, probably a, over a year at that point um, that I, I didn't ship anything at all once. And, you know, I think the whole thing is, can it be like, what is your MVP? What is your minimum vial pr product where that also plays into like, what is that, right? Where is the line between functional and a demo? And I think that's for me is a hard thing because I want everything to be there. I want it to be as functional as like I envisioned it in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, uh, at Luma Touch, they're really good about saying uh, I think they have a good middle ground where they're very like open about saying like, the feature will be ready when it's ready. We'll release things as they're ready. We're not going to rush things. But at the same time, it's very incremental. Like, it's just like when we have features ready, they ship them. And we're not trying to um, create this, these gigantic updates with a bunch of um, with a bunch of features, if that makes sense. So it's hard. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm curious. You you have way more experience than me, both in the on the job side and on the kind of personal app side. So, what do you think, or what have you experienced? I think it really depends on what you are trying to accomplish, right? Um, from a business perspective, there's definitely a benefit to being there first to uh, getting something out because like a budget is not unlimited, right? You have a certain amount of time, you have a certain amount of money to make something happen and you have to make it happen in that time. Otherwise you just run out, uh, right? So you have to take shortcuts where you have to take them and you have to get things out uh, in order for your business to kind of uh, be successful uh, from that point forward. So there's definitely that aspect to it um, that is important to recognize um, and I think it's a very different calculation for that initial release versus incremental releases where you got that first one out there. And then from that point forward, you're uh, iterating and iterating and iterating and improving along the way. 
um, which is kind of different than how software used to be made, where you kind of get a big thing out there, you do some bug fixes along the way, uh, and then you work in the background on a whole bunch of new things that you're going to put out there again, because that's going to be like what is going to make you money is people buying that next version, right? Um, mm -hmm. Whereas nowadays, when so many apps are subscription-based, the the motivation is no longer to kind of get as many big things in as possible. And instead, you're going to be working on them little by little uh, and get them out when they're ready, basically. Um, and I think for those when they're ready stages, it's very important to kind of get things as good as possible uh, that you can and not to not take necessarily shortcuts but mm -hmm. there's gonna be less downside if you do take shortcuts because you can always improve it on the next one right um so if it's functional like you said uh then maybe that's enough right yeah definitely i think that's that's a good point um i think you know if, well i don't know i would always on that app that i was working on it was just uh Oh, you know what? I've got this done and this X, you know, X thing is also sort of related. So let me just kind of throw that in as well. And then I was like, oh, shoot, this is going to take longer than I thought. And, I, you know, kind of just ended up going over and going over. Um, but I think that's an interesting kind of um, concept where maybe like my own experiences, I think maybe aligned a little bit where you said, it's just the context is different when it's in a business context as opposed to your own personal stuff. I mean, unless you are um, relying on that for income as sort of like an indie developer, maybe it doesn't matter so much. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm not I'm not sure. So, it seems like we've we've in the couple minutes that we've been talking, we've got some good concepts out, but also like no perfect solution. And maybe it just mm -hmm. it, the answer is it depends. Yeah, like everything, uh, yeah. it depends. Um, however, I think that there are some answers that we can go ahead and kind of nail down on, uh, depending on specific situations. So uh, one of one of my biggest gripes, I would say, with uh, this adage that I brought up were real artistship. Um, it's that, like, what it's basically getting to is that unless you ship what you worked on, no one's going to be able to appreciate it as mm -hmm. a piece of art that you kind of produced. Um, whether you're talking about art in the artistic sense or art in, like, something that you make, really. Um, and... In a way, it kind of indicates that, hey, unless you ever get it out there, you're never going to be considered an artist, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're always going to be an amateur um, at that point. Uh, and I'm using amateur from the point of view as opposed to a professional. So uh, there's kind of this dichotomy with the words and like amateur boxing and professional boxing. One, you make money. The other, you do for sport. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of works for all sorts of professions. Um, if you're a professional, then you are making money in that profession. So it doesn't mean that you're at the top of the top. It really just means that you're kind of making something out of it. And I think it's important to kind of separate that from you growing as an individual, because if you constantly cut yourself short, you're never going to really improve, um, if that makes any sense. Like, the only way that artists become great artists is because they've been doing art for a very long time, right? Um, the reason that they can use uh, an instrument like a pencil or a brush so skillfully is because they have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours of doing that in their spare time building up to that point in time where they're really, really good at it, right? Um, and that basically goes for everything that any one of us does, right? Um, it can apply to code. Like we as developers, we learn, we learn new coding concepts by experimenting with them. If we never experiment with them and we say, eh, I, I know my thing, I'm not going to learn this new thing that just came out. You're never going to learn the new thing. Uh, right, yeah. no matter how much you read about it, unless you put it in practice and you get the ins and outs, you're never going to really get good at it enough to be able to confidently 
pull off what you want to be pulling off. So you're going to fail a lot along that, uh, along that adventure. And if you kind of get in your mindset that, oh, hey, I'm never going to ship my thing, you're never going to learn the thing that's going to allow you to ship the thing. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I, I honestly, I think that's a great point. Like, and one that I need to would need to hear because I definitely get that. It's almost like stage fright, I suppose, of like, mm-hmm. um, as soon as I put this out there, it's open. And maybe I have some expectation of how it's going to do, even if it's like $5 a month or something, right? Like five sales or, you know, whatever it is, and it doesn't do that, I think that would be hard for me. So it's almost easier to just kind of like be neutral in that situation and not do anything. So I think that's really kind of great advice to just ship it. And that way you can, you know, like you said, learn the thing you're learning or just become that professional that is putting things out there. I think the the analogy to actual kind of more traditional artists, you know, putting things out there is, is great because that's, um, I, I suppose that's how we get better and we just have to keep practicing and, and put things out there as maybe, um, as unpolished as we may think they are. I suppose that's also why we have the ability to update our apps and that's a good thing. We don't have to mm-hmm. make it it's perfect. On into version a cartridge. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't have to make it perfect on version one as, as much as personally I would, I, I would want it to be, but inevitably it just won't. So getting mm-hmm. it out there is, it would be really nice. And, you know, I'm going to try to follow that from now on because I'm definitely guilty of just deciding not to ship uh, mm-hmm. more than anything, probably out of being scared to more than mm-hmm. any actual real reason. Now, at the same time, uh, I can also say the opposite is uh, kind of important to think about where if you are building something and you want to actually make money off of it, like you're building a product and you want it to have a splash when it comes out, you really do need to stress those details. Because if you make something that's mediocre, it's not Mm going to make a splash. It might not even make some ripples in the water uh, that anyone is really going to notice. And then no matter how much you iterate on it, that iteration is never going to be appreciated by anyone the way the app store works. Um, Like you just have to be uh, annoyingly lucky to kind of make it work after that point. Um, And anyone who's had anything on the app store can tell you that initial uh, release, that's when you're going to get the most downloads you'll ever see. Uh, And then it's going to quickly taper off into almost nothing um, unless you just really keep at it. And more importantly, keep at building a customer base. Um, and actively work on those aspects. So if you want to improve yourself, uh, then definitely kind of put something out there and then keep working at it um, and use that as the opportunity for you yourself to improve. Maybe you're using this as a portfolio piece. Maybe you're using it uh, as a way to experiment on different things, whether it goes on the App Store or it goes on GitHub. It doesn't really matter at that point, right? You're just putting it out there um, for the sake of putting it out there. But... At the same time, if you want to kind of like really make a splash with what you're building, you can't really rely on, I don't want to say mediocre effort, because no effort is mediocre once you put effort into it. Anyone can tell you that. Um, But if it's not enough, it's not enough. Um, And the only way to make it enough is to get better at what you do. Um, And that's going to be a way for you to make a biggest influence that you can when it comes out because then you can reach out to um uh news articles and say like hey i just made this app and they're not just going to blindly ignore you because sure there's nothing there um but yeah i was just gonna say i think one interesting topic you brought up was uh putting things on github like putting yourself out there in a different way maybe like you'll see very often people like uh, Steve Trotton Smith or um, I think Guy does this as well, but putting out like, um, or, or John Sundell for sure, uh, putting things out on, on GitHub and just like saying, hey, I'm, you know, I this is maybe not an entirely full featured app or maybe this is just like a framework, but that I may be an also good way to 
more or less, probably less, get um, some sim similarity of um, getting known, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Getting yourself out there. It's, it's not obviously going to make you any money. Um, it's not going to get you in the app store, but what it would do is per perhaps make some good connections and, you know, uh, foster, yeah, connections within the community itself. And that might lead to a job or something. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And it builds on each other, on itself, right? The first time you do it, you're mm -hmm. not going to get very many. Um, the next time you do it, the the few that you got the first time they will notice the second time and one of them might have tons of followers and they might retweet it and that might explode um and from there you might get a few uh new followers to the work that you're doing and then the third time that grows even more and more and more so there's definitely some benefit for you that's not necessarily monetary but it's a lot easier to kind of build a much wider and wider uh, fan base for the work that you're working on um, when the thing that you're building is free, uh, which is unfortunate, right. but uh, that is how the world works. People like free things, and we've come to expect a lot of free things um, on the internet, and that's extra sad for actual artists because they don't actually have a uh, a very easy to attain like end goal that we developers tend to have in terms of like a well paying job. Uh, it's just a lot more kind of hard work that you have to put into it. So like be thankful as a developer that that's all you have to do is put a few free things out there to kind of build up a reputation uh, that you can, can then fully take advantage of to kind of benefit your life, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, as a little bit of an aside, you, you kind of reminded me at, just when people said, or when you said people want uh, free things or cheap things. I um, I was over at my... My parents' house the other day, my brother and sister were there. Um, they're both younger than me. They were they were showing me this. I think it was like some uh, astrology app, and they were we were <laughs> discussing astrology, which I thought was very funny. My sister is very into it, which is hilarious. Um, I guess that's a topic for another day. But the app was free, <laughs> um, and it was I mean riddled with ads like I have never seen before. It was ridiculous. And I said, aren't you guys annoyed by all these ads and stuff? And they're like, yeah, I guess, but it, it's free. I was like, is it not worth just paying a couple dollars to remove the ads? They're like, no, that's way too much money. And I was like, it's less than a cup of Starbucks. Really? It's less like that experience is just okay with you. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And I thought that was really interesting. We're, we're so cheap when it comes to apps for some reason. Um, but we'll willingly, you know, pay $60 for a game, uh, or whatever. But for some reason it's maybe just this, this app store culture, of uh, expecting free things. But for me, I don't know, being on the other side, there's no way that I would deal with that many ads and everything. I don't know. Makes for a bad experience. And I'm just like, I hate my phone when they're, when it's constantly popping up with things. So interesting how other people kind of see that. Yeah, I've definitely moved almost everything in my life to an ad-free experience because it's just miserable. Uh, it is. Like, having that constant background hum that's there, that when you actually do get rid of most of it from your life, it becomes surprising when you see an ad. And that's probably why, to you, it was surprising. Is like <laughs> Probably. <laughs> whereas they built up a numbness to it, where it's just like something that they gloss over. Um, but yeah, like advertising is insane, <laughs> but it, is insane. it allows you to, as a developer, it allows you to have something that's free that people can use. You just yep. have to have hundreds of thousands of people using it to make a few cents, right? Um, <laughs> which is the other side of the coin. Like just because it's free doesn't mean that you're going to be able to make it with just ads, right? You still need to put work into it. Uh, for it to kind of grow in popularity. Um, and oftentimes that's by buying more ads with the money that you're making from your ads. So um, I guess like the real it's, solution it's a vicious here, cycle, right? <laughs> absolutely. I think the, the real solution here is just to make one of those apps that you charge $99 a week or something. And then your problem should be solved according to all of this, this talk, mm -hmm. right? 
Oh, definitely. That's that's an another excellent way of uh, <laughs> of uh, getting on the good list of Santa's mm. uh, uh, naughty or nice um, <laughs> registry to see if if uh, you're. But like again, these desperate attempts come from like needing to make money, right? Developers yeah. aren't greedy because they're greedy. They are greedy because they have families to feed, and uh, I would like to think <laughs> that a lot of them are are doing it despite uh, knowing that it's not the greatest way to kind of make yeah. a living, uh, but they need to make a living somehow, so they're doing that, right? Um, uh, and even more aside, it reminds me of uh, those scammer uh, rooms in generally India uh, where mm. there's just a bunch of people that scam people for a living and yeah. like that's their day job. Because that's the job that they could get. And yes, you can talk about how morally okay or not okay that is. Uh, but at the end of the day, they need to feed their family. And that's the job that they were able to get. Um, and there's a whole spectrum of yeah. like what we can consider morally okay to completely not morally okay. And normal people fall all over that line. Um, and yeah. Anyways, back on topic. <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to kind of bring up, since we were talking about art and artists, uh, is user interface design skills. I know mm. a lot of developers don't necessarily uh, think that they have the greatest user interface design skills. Many of them, after a decade, like you're going to learn how to spot great designs and not so great designs, but you might not know how to characterize what makes it a good design or what makes it a bad design. Like we had that trouble um, a few episodes ago when we were talking about like, what is a great Mac app? And we can only kind of list out <laughs> right. what makes what we find good, but we can't necessarily like find out what is wrong with other examples um, past like the superficial level. And that is something that you have to practice, right? You can, quickly make a ui and ship it and call it done because it gets the job done but you are never going to get better at making uis if you stop there um and that's where i think the the real artistship thing kind of really falls apart is because so much of the time we can get good enough and then stop um without putting the tons and tons of extra effort into making it an amazingly great experience, right? And that's something that we've come to expect of certain companies like Apple. We expect an amazingly great experience because they've shown us that it was possible at least once, right? And that was all it took. Just like for you and I, we we saw that it was possible to live life without advertising bombarding us at every moment in time. And then every time there's an occasion where you can't get rid of ads, it feels like, oh, <laughs> we were almost there, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that's one thing that is so hard. Uh, user interface and, you know, the whole user experience around that is, ins for me, insanely difficult. I mean, like you said, I feel like I have enough design sense to, like, make something visually pleasing, quote unquote, right? Uh, whether it's a good experience for the user is, you know, a completely different story. And that's, I think, a huge, I think maybe a huge thing with that for me is seeing, getting feedback from other people. So whether it's doing something like test flight and beta testing your app and getting it out there in some kind of limited, hey, this isn't totally ready, you'll probably see bugs, uh, way like safe space for you to do that. Mm -hmm. would be absolutely crucial. Um, I, when I was doing that briefly for maybe a month or so, if I remember right. I can't quite remember how long I was beta testing the app, but um, I got many suggestions on how to improve it. And so just because I thought my design was good didn't mean that it actually was. And there were uh, multiple kind of votes for how to make something better or how to make an experience uh, flow better. So mm -hmm. design's hard. And I think that's one thing that honestly, I, I don't do great at of studying and kind of knowing why something works and why something doesn't work. Um, and maybe that's partially a, um, another kind of 
tick for uh, reading the human interface guidelines uh, in in whatever of its many versions, uh, knowing when to uh, do design one thing or another. Like for example, mm-hmm. uh, we've always you know kind of I, on the iOS side gravitated towards using a tab bar as opposed to some hamburger menu. That those kinds of things that seem maybe um, clear to us or maybe not. Um, I think they're clear design decisions from people that are much smarter than I am uh, going into the sort of psychology of why that's better. So not really sure if that's quite what you were getting at, but mm-hmm. I think that's for me is a huge thing is just trying to figure out how can I design this the best and often I fall short. And when I did test flight it, I saw that, uh, yes, indeed, my you know, kind of thoughts on how to do it best weren't, weren't quite perhaps the best way. So getting other people's opinions, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And also it's something that you need to iterate and iterate and iterate on for yourself. Like if you Mm -hmm. spot something that looks good, but is not perfect, try to just redo it and see Mm -hmm. like if you can make it ever so slightly better, ever so slightly better, ever so slightly better. Keep doing that, if only for yourself, so that way you as an individual can get better at that specific uh, task. Like, design is not something that is something that developers are not allowed to ever touch. In fact, if you as a developer have a great design sense and the ability to back it up by actually being able to produce those uh, designs, then that's going to help you tremendously, whether you can draw with a pencil or not, like whatever tool that you ultimately get comfortable with, as long as you can use that tool to do what you're basically working on, that's going to be a great asset for you as an individual. Um, And again, it's not something that is hard. It's something that just requires effort on your point, on your side to kind of improve on. Um, And this is not something that can really be taught Like, you can go to school to learn about design. That's not going to teach you anything about user interface design. Right. Like, that's just the reality of it. That's not a concentration of most programs. And this is something that you'll only learn by studying what you consider to be the best examples in the field. Like, we brought up when we were talking about what makes a great Mac app, we brought up Panic and um, various other developers that make excellent apps. Um, and they make excellent apps because they sweat the details and they try to get it as good as it can be. Uh, and they've done that for so long that they can get that done on the first try, really. Um, and that's a tremendous benefit when you can get it done on the first try, because then you don't have to waste too much effort in the future kind of iterating on it. And you can time and time again, get an A plus app out like over and over again and something that's repeatable because you have the skills to kind of pull it off right yeah for sure um as far as the iterations go i think that's super important and what i i'm fairly sure i brought this up before but i'll say it again because it's the best way of iterating that i know um and i think i'll bring up i believe what dimitri does which is just as good if not better um, which is like, for example, when I was teaching in person at a boot camp, we had those. Yeah, I, I have taught about uh, talked about this. We had these tall, sticky notes that happened to be like the perfect aspect ratio of like an mm-hmm. iPhone screen, and we gave them purposely like like thick sharpie markers, not like the fine point ones, but to say, think of a design and write it down and draw it out. But it was purposely like a very low fidelity mock-up so that you weren't beholden to, ah, this took me so long to make. Uh, I want to implement this or so kind of like the, the, the flip side of that would be um, going into a storyboard and putting that all in constraining everything, uh, writing out your view controllers or whatever and then being like, I just spent two hours on this. There's no way that I want to change this just because that would be a loss of um, mm-hmm. of work, like a, a time for me, right? But if you have these low fidelity iterations, then you're much less beholden to that because it took you maybe five minutes or less or wh- whatever the amount of time was. It's almost definitely going to be quicker uh, than if you were doing it um, like in a storyboard or something. Um, and I think Dimitri's mentioned before that he does something similar in Sketch, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, doing so... Doing iterations in, in Sketch. 
Yeah, so like you said, it's maybe not the low fidelityness of it that makes it okay to throw it away. It's amount of time investment, right? Yes. If within five minutes you can make something that looks amazing, you're okay throwing that away because it's going to take you another five minutes to make something else that looks amazing, right? Exactly, yes. Um, so you really need to polish your skills to be able to pull off whatever you can pull off within that five minute like boundary, right? Um, I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, hey, if you don't want to rely on those sticky notes, you can learn how to draw an iPhone-shaped rectangle with rounded corners. It's hard at first, but if you do it enough, you're going to get really good at drawing yeah. iPhone-shaped rectangles that are the right aspect ratio and everything because your hand, like, the muscle memory is there at that point. Um, and if you can get that done, guess what? In the time it takes someone to go pull out the sticky note thing, you're already on the whiteboard and you have four out and with, like, full designs totally. in them already. Um, so that aspect of like nurturing your profession, your perfectionism is something that I think is very important as specifically towards like juniors. If you are just starting off and you can identify an aspect that just takes raw effort to kind of iterate and iterate and iterate and make better, definitely do it. Because yeah. that is going to pay dividends down the line when you need to actually use that skill, right? Um, some things are nebulous, like how to become a faster problem solver. Like that can only be done right. by solving hard problems. And that's something yeah. that, yeah, you like make something, ship it so that we can get onto the next problem, make something, ship it. Next problem, make something, ship it. Like that's something that you just need to have exposure to lots of different problems to be able to do that well. Um but something like being able to sketch out a UI really quickly, that's something that you can sit down for a few hours and just keep at it, right? Get good at using whatever tool, whether it's a, a Sharpie on a whiteboard, which is different than using a pen on paper, which is different than using a mouse and sketch. Um, or just like jumping into SwiftUI. That, like, that's something I yeah. find so amazing about SwiftUI. If you have a vision in your head and you're like, oh, I could go about and sketch this, you can just as quickly go about and make it in SwiftUI and that's done. You did the work, um, which takes getting good at SwiftUI to be able to do, right? You're not going to be able to pull that off if you never touch SwiftUI and you just read about it and people say, oh, this feels unfinished. Uh, and therefore you kind of wait until the next year. It's like, yes, you can jump on it whenever you're ready. Like I've done that with Swift. I waited five years for Swift to... Uh, get comfortable with itself but then i had to learn how to do things in swift that felt uncomfortable to me as someone that came from Objective c and that took time um i was a little slower at it but i was able to use my other skills that i kind of nurtured doing Objective c to directly apply it to swift and that was an easier experience right um so yeah polish your skills and with whatever time that you have that's extra because it will always be beneficial um, even if you are not going to see the return on that particular project that you're doing, right? There's always that 80-20 rule um, where like the last 20% takes as much time as the first 80% uh, to kind of get done. Um, and yeah, you might be able to call MVP at 80 and then move on to the next project. And if you're kind of working on being able to be as adaptive as possible to work on as many different things as possible, definitely move on. Go to the next thing. But if you want to nurture your ability to make something as polished as it can be in a much smaller amount of time down the line, you need to take that huge amount of time up front to kind of get better at it, right? So, yeah, real artistship. And instead, we made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> exactly. So this week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Bon Voyage. Bon Voyage is a full-stack iOS application development course from Johnny B. With this course, you'll learn how to build both a full iOS client app and associated React web administration application. The app and site will integrate with Firebase as well as Stripe and Plaid the payment for payment processing. Bon Voyage is a place to book extravagant vacations and you'll gain the skills to build the iOS app from the ground up and integrate everything you need to provide a world-class vacation booking experience. To find out more and sign up for the course, visit bonvoyage.app, that's B-O-N-V-O-Y-A-G-E dot app slash course, C-O-U-R-S-E, 
and be sure to follow Bon Voyage's instructor, Johnny B. Codes, that's J-O-N-N-Y-B-C-O-D-E-S on Twitter to stay up to date with all his courses. Thanks again to Bon Voyage e-commerce app course for sponsoring Code Completion. And just like we said, like practice many different things to get better at them, and this is an excellent thing. You're never going to be building a vacation hotspot necessarily, but the skills that you're going to learn by building one are going to be useful in other contexts, and you'll be able to directly apply them, right? Now that we've gone through our topic, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yep. Uh, so Dimitri forgot to post last week's question to Twitter, so we're going to go over it one more time. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you can check podcast art or the show notes to follow along. Uh, so here we have an async method that loads an image and then loads metadata separately, uh, ultimately presenting them as a single unit. How can you make sure both load methods run concurrently? So thank you, Spencer. If you think you can complete the code, tweet your answer to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on the following week's episode. So since we've been discussing our new MacBook Pros a lot in past episodes, uh, I wanted to bring this up. I didn't really know where else to fit it in, um, and we don't have anything like follow-up or anything like that. Uh, so introducing our mini review corner. Uh, the device I have to review today is the um, CalDigit Element Hub. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the box that comes in. Uh, this is a Thunderbolt uh, hub, basically, uh, that allows you access to more Thunderbolt ports. So as I discussed with my MacBook Pro setup, uh, I'm using all the Thunderbolt ports for monitors, um, and I would have liked Apple kind of give me one more Thunderbolt port rather than an HDMI board I'm never going to use. Um, like, dongles are fine. We got used to the dongles for HDMI. Um, I would have preferred that, but, like, that's that's not the world we live in. Uh, <laughs> so this happened to come out, like, right... Uh, after all those MacBook Pros came out, um, and it gives you access to three more Thunderbolt ports. So you use one on your computer, it gives you access to three more. So one of my monitors is plugged into that, one of the LG 5Ks. And then you have four more USB-A ports that are all 10 gigabit uh, each. So yes, you can't like saturate um, everything since most of it's being used by the display, but it gives me access to more ports just to plug stuff in like uh, the basic necessities like charging cables and stuff like that for phone when you're doing development. Nice. Uh, so it's got four USB-A ports and then mm-hmm. just three more Thunderbolt ports or is that, yeah. it's so pretty, the, Sorry, yeah, there's, it. it's, it's very bare bones. So, okay. um, I, I don't like how these devices tend to say, oh, we have four USB-A and four Thunderbolt 4 ports. I'm like, no, you don't have four Thunderbolt. One of those is going back to the computer. Let's right. clear there. Um, so you automatically lose one because it's connected to the computer. Um, mm-hmm. But it turns that one port that's on your computer into three new ports um, on the back of the hub. Um, and then on the other side of the hub, you have the four USB-A ports, so you can have easy access uh, to those while... Uh, the Thunderbolt stuff is probably like nicely situated on your desk and you're not plugging and unplugging them. Um, yeah. And it nice. also has power to charge stuff. Oh, good. That's awesome. Yeah. Thunderbolt, uh, docks are interesting and I haven't found like one that's perfect, but I think it depends on, you know, what you're, I guess, trying to do. But, uh, I think a huge thing is just having USB-A ports, especially with, um, all these MacBooks that don't have them and haven't had them since 2016. Um, it's, you know, I guess nice to have ones that have like display outs and everything. And I've wondered if that would maybe fix my display problem. It's going okay right now on this like tiny flimsy uh, display port to USB-C. So I'm, I'm okay. But um, I think, yeah, a huge thing is just having USB-A ports. Honestly, I would probably trade like the HDMI port for just a USB type A on, on these new MacBooks personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a ubiquitous connector um, that it's unfortunate that we still have them around. Like a lot of things you can swap out the cable. Like it's not the device at the other end that requires it. It's more the cable, but you'd have to like get new cables. Um, and one of the downsides of USB-C up until now is you cannot get a hub that gives you more USB-C. Um, right. So these are finally coming out. This one was $250 on Amazon. Um, so we'll leave a link in the show notes if you wanted to 
uh, kind of check that out. There's another one by OWC that just shipped for me, so I'll see it in a few days, mm. uh, maybe. Maybe that'll be next week's uh, review. Um, and that one has the same, like, three extra Thunderbolt ports, but it also has um, Ethernet and USB-A. Um, so Ooh, I think it has, a good one too. it has display out as well, so, like, what you were looking for. Um, so I might switch to that one. I might not. We have two of these MacBook Pros in the house between me and my wife, Lynn. Uh, so, like, one of us is going to end up using one and the other the other. Um, right. So not at all a waste um but uh is definitely going to be interesting to see the differences between these um like i have seen thunderbolt wonkiness with m1 computers um i was telling spencer about this before uh the show started but i have a mac mini that i use as kind of a local server um here and it has it's ha- only has the two thunderbolt ports that are used by two massive uh raid arrays um, and I also wanted to give it 10 gigabit Ethernet because I have a few computers around the house that have 10 gigabit Ethernet. Um, and it would make like communicating between those two systems faster when you do file access and stuff. Um, so I got a 10 gigabit Ethernet, uh, two Thunderbolt uh, 3 um, box. It's like huge. Uh, currently unplugged because I found out by not plugging it in, everything has been infinitely more stable than I've been used to. Uh, because every week or so, like, there'd be some disk I.O. issue and I would have to restart the computer to kind of uh, be able to access anything um, or for it to back itself up um, or anything like that. And it being unplugged, everything has been rock solid for two weeks straight. So Bummer. Uh, that's unfortunate um, because I liked having 10 gigabit Ethernet access. That was nice and fast, as we like to say, even though 10 gigabit is nothing uh, than where we're used to now with Thunderbolt. I might just run a Thunderbolt cable between the two computers. That might be good enough. Um, though, ironically enough, when you use Thunderbolt for networking, you're limited to 10 gigabit. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know why, um, but yeah, if you look into the network settings, it's just like, oh, it's a 10 gigabit connection. Um, it's not a 40 gigabit one. Um, but there are Thunderbolt devices that give you th- like 40 gigabit uh, fiber. So I don't know if those run at 40 gigabit or not. Mm. Maybe the system is capable of it. Maybe not. Uh, I will one day find out, I guess. <laughs> I was going to ask, what the, how much bandwidth does one of those 5K displays take up? Like how much is left for for everything else on on one of those ports or the one of the buses so i could not find for the life of me a reference that gave like exact numbers because i was wondering is it better to put the 5k on this or is it better to put the 6k um Mm. you might say well the 5k is obviously going to be less than the 6k uh but let me bring this up the 6k will actually use display stream compression uh which means that it can potentially get much better bandwidth out of its connection than the 5Ks, which do not use display stream compression. Uh, so there's, it's, it's really a toss-up, but there's no, uh, there's nothing that I found that will like give you a live readout to tell you, like, yeah. hey, which, what are these devices using up? So for now, I put it in between the 5K because I'm never going to use the hub on the back of the 5K, so I figured that's, that's a safe uh, one to kind of sacrifice. And just like back of the envelope calculations show that it should have a decent amount of like space left over for uh, everyday things. Um, currently, this one that I have plugged in, the CalDigit one, does not have Ethernet. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see how the Ethernet works on the OWC Ooh. one or if that makes everything. <laughs> because the, um, the Thunderbolt 3 to 10 gigabit uh, Ethernet thing, that's an OWC one as well. Um, so I don't know how well that's going to work. Uh, we will find out soon. Tune into next week's episode. Exactly. Uh, so as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's anything you'd like for us to discuss in the future. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family. We're also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this and to iterate and get better at podcasting so we can have a better show for you in the future. Um, That's right. So uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. So...
As uh, commented out, I have uh, my adventures with async sequences, if you're interested yes. to hear. Yes, um, let's hear all about the generics. <laughs> the generics of hell. Uh, so <laughs> on the topic of getting better at things, uh, generics are notoriously like hard to comprehend. And I would not say without a doubt that like I understand how they work. I don't. But I am getting better at just like typing it out the first time and the computer mm-hmm. not yelling at me that I like used where wrong. Um, which is not the case all the time. Um, anytime aware is required. Uh, and async sequences are one of these existential types that uh, allow you to use all the asynchronous stuff inside of a for loop, um, which seems great. Like um, on uh, if you're using the latest OSs, you have access to this on URL session. So if you want to stream bytes in, you don't need to use input stream and output stream anymore you can now just ask for the bytes and it will give you an asynchronous thing immediately um, as soon as the um, the network gets back to you and then you can just consume those bytes one at a time or you can say dot lines and consume the bytes as lines of data as they come in so very efficient uh, works really really well Um, this is also available on file handle and urls so if you have a local url you can just go ahead and read the bytes off of that file, mm. like just by saying dot resource bytes. And that's a super easy way to then read stuff from a file without taking up a huge amount of memory first. So what you had to do in the past is either consume it via a stream or a dispatch uh, IO thing that like there's no documentation for. So good luck if you ever <laughs> wanted to kind of explore that route. I gave up. Um, and therefore I never, I will never learn how dispatch IO works. Sorry, <laughs> moving on. Uh, but I dedicated my time, uh, this past week to really understand how async stream, uh, async sequence works, uh, because if you are doing any of this async stuff, you can now use async await on older OSs. So iOS 15, mm-hmm. um, Mac OS 10.15. Uh, so basically a three year, is it three year? Uh, two year, two year. I don't know. Um, Something like that. Yeah, two extra releases. Um, however, that turns out in years, I don't know. Um, but you can use async await. But you cannot use the foundation provided async sequences that it gives you. So the ones on URL that I just talked about, URL session, none of those are available. Um, and that made me sad. So I spent uh, the early part of the week rewriting all of Apple's. Uh, URL session based async await code um, in a way that would then work on uh, older OSs. And this was non trivial because what Apple did, uh, and this is probably why it's not like directly compatible, uh, is add a per task delegate, which did not exist um, on URL session up until now. Like you had the session delegate, and then that was it. And per task delegates are new. Uh, so in order to get per task delegates working, I had to kind of patch it in uh, to URL session. And the only way to patch it into URL session is to hijack the main delegate and to forward everything to the user's delegate or to the task delegate, depending on like what's going on um, and what got registered. So uh, that was the bulk of the work. Uh, and then the async sequence stuff at the end was kind of fun uh, because it's surprisingly simple code. Uh, to kind of just forward the bytes over when the system wants them. Uh, and then just plugs into the rest of the kind of ASIC sequence ecosystem uh, where you can map on it, you can filter, you can reduce, when you can do all these kind of cool things based on when the data is coming in. So um, that was really neat. That's super cool. I haven't taken a look at it. I know you posted it on GitHub. Um, so are you just setting whatever your custom like i'm assuming you have some object that it becomes that main delegate and that kind of does the forwarding or yeah so um i'm using dave delong's uh backport kind of naming uh so he introduced this with swift ui where <laughs> notoriously you have like methods that get introduced with one version but are not available in the previous ones and then you have to mm-hmm. like uh put a hashtag a hashtag what's that uh sharp symbol like it has a, a name um, that I'm forgetting. Uh, but Octothorpe, uh, you put Octothorpe if um, for the the compiler directives, so that way you can go ahead and say, oh, only oh. include this line on this version and that line yeah, on that yeah. version. 
so what he did is he has a property on view that's generic called backport and that makes a new namespace available where you can redefine the method that's available on the newer OS um, on there for all OSs. And then in there, you can either backport it to make it available on the older OSs, or you can just kind of pass the view and silently ignore uh, the issue. Um, so if you want to show a badge and you just kind of don't have time, you can not show badges on the older OSs, but your code is going to be simpler and easier to sure. read. Because all you did was say dot backport dot badge instead of dot badge and then get compiler warnings. So I use that same technique with URL session. So if you say URL session dot backport open parentheses, that's going to be like calling URL session open parentheses to make a new one. And Mm. that one will patch in its own delegate when you pass in your delegate. So if you pass in one or not, um, it's going to pass in its own, patch in its own um, that is then going to be necessary for all the other like per task delegates to work because this needs to be patched in at some point or another. And then when you want to use one of the async methods, so for instance, um, I think one is called data for URL request, um, where you just say try await data, like session dot data for URL request. Uh, Here, you're just going to say URL session dot backport dot data for URL request. So if you pass in a delegate there, then you need to have initialized it properly. Um, and it'll warn you about that. But if you don't pass a delegate, it doesn't really care. Um, and it only requires a delegate for the async byte stuff because it uses the delegate callbacks to know when new data kind of got mm. received um, to kind of forward that over. So that's step one in my quest for worlds uh, conquering the world with async sequences. <laughs> that's super cool. I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm going to take a look at it. Um... That backport uh, kind of, I guess, architecture, uh, uh, I don't know, strategy is is really interesting. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll leave a link. Let me make a note of it. Yeah. Gothub. Oh, gosh. Gothub. I'm sure that'll be interesting. Um, so yeah, and the next step that I'm working on is, uh, basically being able to build a, um, frame parser. So if you've ever worked with bytes and streams, you basically have probably written this before where you kind of initiate a frame with a number, and then that will tell you how big the frame is. And then you can kind of dig into it that way. Um, and this is a very common strategy for building out these kind of things, but async sequences does not necessarily make that easy to implement it just gives you one byte at a long one byte at a time and if you need four bytes to kind of parse an integer out of that becomes tedious quickly so um i'm writing i've written in the exactly one year ago another library called bytes which kind of makes byte handling in swift a ton easier because like dealing with memory is uh kind of scary in swift and this kind of abstracts that away so if you need an integer from four bytes you have an array with four uint eights in it, and you can just say, hey, make this an integer, please, and it will either do that or throw. Um, oh. So it's very practical in that, in that regard. And what I'm adding to it is the ability to take um, an async iteration. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Um, and this is the subcomponent of an async sequence uh, that actually gives you the next byte. And here you can ask it for the next integer, and it will just kind of package four and give you an int out of that. So much like you've written a decoder before where you kind of, hey, give me the package, uh, the header size, and then you can say, hey, decode the header for me. And then, hey, give me the payload size. Hey, let's decode the payload. Um, I'm writing it such that you can write that in one of the sequence map functions, Um and you can get out fully constructed objects from that recipe that you wrote. Um, and that will all kind of happen as the data streams in. So uh, look mm. forward to that in the near future if that is your cup nice. of tea. It's not everyone's. Uh, it's partially work motivated, partially I want to get better at doing this kind of motivated. Uh, so yeah. that's why I'm kind of working at it. That's super cool. I um. I th- I think I've brought this up before. Sorry, if you are you good to keep talking for a few minutes? Oh yeah. Okay. Um I um 
like way a while ago, it was well over a year ago at this point, I um, was preparing to move in, like I knew I was moving into my new house and I had my, a few places in my house wired for um, like speakers in, in the ceiling, in the, mm-hmm. yeah, in the ceilings. So I bought a, um, like an amp, um, well, yeah, an amp to hook into the speakers, but also you could, you know, put in, in inputs and outputs and everything. I, I don't know what it's called exactly. Like a, a receiver, I guess. Uh, it's pretty bare bones, but it did have a serial port. And so I started making uh, a vapor app that would I would be able to basically just make, um, you know, change the volume and, and everything just uh, from an app, just from my phone. Um, and I'm trying to look for it on GitHub here. Um, there it is. I'm wondering, I was, I'm, I was doing kind of similar stuff where I'm trying to, it's just giving me bytes and I'm trying to, you know, parse it out. So I'm wondering if that would be a a good way of like asynchronously grabbing those bytes and, um, kind of dealing with them then I can't exactly remember how I, oh, I was using Andrew Madsen's, um, ORS serial port to get the stuff, but maybe I don't know if I'm using that to get the data. It's been literally over a year since I've looked at this, but, um, yeah, I'm going to look into that. And when I eventually get back to this project, now that, now that I moved into my house and the amp is ready to get it working. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's literally sitting on a, in a shelf in a closet. Um, I don't know. It might be useful. Mm -hmm. So So that's cool. So bytes as is is probably useful for sending data to the serial port because it makes it easy to construct your byte buffer, basically, that you want to send mm-hmm. as a message. Um, and then um, the OS serial port can go ahead and kind of turn those bytes into something useful uh, f- to send over the wire. On the receiving end, you'll probably need to write something to turn what the stream that the serial port gives you into an async sequence if you wanted to use that kind of code. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you can use the thing I wrote, and that will that will make it That'd nice be sweet, and, man. N- nice and uh, swifty, uh, as yes. people like to call it. Yeah, it's just a cool. very different way than writing code. <laughs> anything I was used to, um, and I'm still yeah. like trying to understand it. So, for one thing, the async sequence lets you like make multiple iterators, and you can just like restart, and that works sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. And it feels kind of this is the best that we could get. So we're kind of going with this and that's, it's not completely uh, safe in every regard um, from like a usability point of view. Um, so we'll see how ASIC sequences evolves over time. Uh, but I can definitely see it being the general replacement for streams long-term in um, on Apple platforms and on platforms where you can use um, Swift. Cool. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, async away kind of scares me. I haven't really looked into it too much, so I really need to... We're not using it at work currently, so I just haven't had much of a reason to take a look at it. But I, I you know, that's, again, those that practice and just learning new things. So mm-hmm. that's that's probably got to be my next, my next thing. I kind of procrastinated and didn't do it when it was, uh, you know, announced but not in release so Mm -hmm. and i to be clear like i tried doing stupid things where like for instance i use the same iterator and i asked for the next byte twice with um the spoiler of of today's uh complete the code uh so if you you can solve that you can try the same (laughs) thing with this uh and the uh, and the compiler will actually yell at you and say this is not something that's going to go well you're not allowed Mm. to do this um, and I was like super pleased to know that the compiler was telling me I'm doing it wrong and I should not do it that way. And I was like, okay, I will give up immediately on that uh, because there's a good reason why. Like I was expecting, oh, like this will trick it. And the compiler said, uh uh-uh. uh. So I was like, okay, yay, <laughs> it's doing its job. Um, That's so, cool. Yeah, it, it's if you're used to kind of like futures and promises from Vapor, uh, yeah. async await, I think is going to fit right in with how you are used to things because instead of chaining a bunch of flat maps 
you just kind of put a weight in front of everything and yeah it makes it instantly much better um i cannot yeah that idea i think in vapor is where for me i'm like this is going to be absolute gold because dealing yeah with futures and just putting i mean completion closures and closures and closures and closures and sometimes it's straightforward and sometimes you're like i needed that variable that's like way up there now i have to pass it down the chain and that's like a nightmare fun um so the async await makes that so much easier and if you do something that's impossible for the system to kind of work its way through it's going to tell you that that's impossible like hey you can't do these two things uh simultaneously that's just not going to work so um i've played around a lot with the sequences so far i have not played at all with actors and i need to kind of Mm. use them for one of the pieces with the url session backport stuff that i was working on um which like i know like this is going to be um a a threading nightmare with the callbacks because although it's all on one delegate queue you can have it go through the user's completion handler and then who knows like Ooh. where it's going to happen so that's as funny. is it's it's gonna work fine but the minute a user kind of puts in their own delegate there uh it can go and become haywire quickly so i want to switch to using actors to kind of make sure all of those aspects are also safe um so that is going to kind of be my next like experimental dive in with uh all this new swift concurrency stuff um and after that, I'm going to be using all of it on my jobby job stuff, so that's going to be exciting. Nice. Are act did actors also get backported? Uh, yeah, all of Swift concurrency. Was that did. a part of? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know about the main actor because that's kind of tied in with all of uh, UI Kit mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So maybe that is not part of it, but making your own actor definitely is. Cool. That's awesome. And you, yeah, you don't need the main actor for what you're doing. Yeah, no, uh, it's purely stuff that's happening on a background thread. So, um, yeah, should be should be. That's fine. exciting. Yep. Cool. 